my wife went to the store to uh, buy some food, meat. And she went over the beef and discovered that uh, T-bone steak and flank steak, flank steak's normally cheap, are both like $6.95 a pound. So she went and did what consumers do, and she went to pork, <laughs> right. which is a lot cheaper, Yeah, uh, which is one of the things that works. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Welcome back to a, a new year with the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, this is our first episode due to vacation and then studio shutdown. The first episode of 2022. So happy new year, everybody. I know we're yeah. a little late, but we're economists. We're allowed to do that. We'll revise our Happy New Year expectation in two quarters so that by the end of the year, we will have the final estimated version of our New Year's greeting. On the other hand. Yes. On the other hand, we may have some estimates in advance of what our New Year's greeting may be like for next year. It may or may not sound something like Happy New Year. Right. Right. So, but you you always have to say on the other hand. On the other hand, yes, right, <clears throat> yes. Uh, FDR is famous for saying he wanted a one-handed economist, and that yep. Um, unfortunately, when you go to economic school, they issue you a series of prosthetics from the uh, from the department of uh, what is the the octopus-looking guy that Spider-Man used to fight in the comic books. I um, don't know. Well, he, he ran the department, if I recall right. So that's just something to look forward to in all of our future episodes of the Personal Wealth Coach is many hands, just like the well, CDC in describing mask guidelines. I know that you have forearms. I do. And, so there. And between the two of us, we have four heads. And most people are going to think about that for a little bit. And some of you... <laughs> Smiled and moaned immediately and said, ah. All right. You better get after the disclosures. Yes, this is the personal wealth coach. This is Jake McClure. And on the line with me, I have. Jeff McClure, I think. Yes. Uh, Full disclosure here. We are both bald. Bald. Yes. We both have beards and we are both bald. Uh, The personal wealth coach is not only the name of this program. Hopefully a program that you will find entertaining and uh, frolicsome, although I'm a little iffy on that last part. It's also the name of a SEC registered investment advisory firm, which isn't to say that we're offering investment advice on the air. That's fiduciary stuff, and there's way all kinds of privacy issues, and we don't know everybody that's listening and all that stuff. We're offering education on the air. If we say something really dumb and inaccurate and maybe misleading and dangerous, they're the ones to uh, report it to. Really dumb, you would be on the phone the whole time talking to them about entire episodes of really dumbness. But you volunteered for that. That's all I'm saying. Um, so you want to take the next disclosure? I did two in uh, there. You see how I snuck them in there? New year, new disclosure. I could say that we don't pay for this radio program. Yeah, that's right. And we are not paid to do the radio program. We do advertise on KTEM for the radio program. Um, but, uh, Senator, there is no quid pro quo. Uh, pardon me. Why are you speaking in Latin? Because that's what I do. It's like what I say, 
The information we provide on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Whoa. Might as well have been Latin. Right. You got to say it really fast. Right. Though, it's, I mean, yeah. the disclosures have to be said really fast and in small print. We should say they, them in pig Latin. That way people will concentrate oh, on them more. No, I don't think, I don't think that would work. We can do it. No, don't we, e- don't even want to try. So. My brain won't work for that to say. Did we get them all? I, I think that's it. Uh, we we yeah. uh, the sources deemed reliable. You got that one. You said your deem guarantee warranty all in one sentence. That's yep. pretty pretty good. Um, I guess we went to the markets then. Yeah. What happened this week in the markets? Well, the stock market kept on marketing stocks as it normally does, and it went up and down a lot, and it bounced around, and it was buffeted. I like to say it was buffeted, that's but not by joke. Warren. It wasn't Warren. Not by Warren. Um. Good news, bad news, and it found and it ended the week about where it started down three tenths of one percent at forty two forty six sixty two point eight five. That's the S and P five hundred I'm referring to. It is it's wait, down wait. two. It was down for the week point zero point three percent. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, it is down about a little over two percent so far this year for the whole year, mm-hmm. which um, has been extremely long so far. All right, but two, it's up two about, weeks of it. It's up about 24% from where it was last year at this time, so I don't think anybody's complaining too much yet. We are entering the beginning of the quarterly seasons, the quarterly earnings season, and we're not getting a lot of we're we're getting we're getting some indications and the indications are that some companies made a lot of money and other ones didn't, but that's normally the way it works out. Um, we're definitely in a bull market, there's no question about that. The CRSP U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index, which we also track, closed at 2632.45. It's down 0.41% for the week and down 1.35% year-to-date. And why do we track that? Because that end of the market behaves differently than the large-cap growth uh, side of the market. There is a rotation going on in the market, and you can actually see it in these numbers just a little bit. Rotation out of large-cap growth and towards value investors, uh, value stocks, because the S&P 500 as a whole, which includes all the stocks that, we, that we're talking about, is down 2.17%. But mid-cap value, those are value stocks that are mid-sized companies, is only down 1.35% year to date. And uh, I find it interesting that there's big chunks of both of those areas that are up. Right. Big chunks that are down. The averages are both down. So go ahead. There's... And we mentioned this in the newsletter, but it's important to note this from if you strictly look at the way the total stock market has behaved or actually the S&P 500 has behaved, this could be the beginning of 2000, the way we've had this big run up like we did in 1999 and 1998. However, and we've mentioned this before, too, about half the stocks in the S&P 500 last year didn't rise, actually went down. That was not the case in the year 2000. 1999 saw all ships rising. Right. And, and the other thing that's very, very different at this time, rather than from where it was at the beginning of the year 2000 is at this point, there was outrageous optimism going on in, in, in the 2000, at the beginning of 2000. Man, I don't see that anywhere. No, Uh, all the headlines today, in my opinion, have been negative. I mean, even about good news. So we're getting, so I, I don't, I think the, the the stock market continues to, by the way, the interesting point, and, and I haven't even seen this in, in the news media, the price-to-earnings ratio, which is the real level that the stock market functions on, 
um, has actually declined over the last year. Now, wow, if the market's up 24%, how did the price-to-earnings ratio go down? Earnings went up slower than the market did, or faster no, the, than the market faster. did. The market did not down. rise at the speed of earnings. So, earnings, so earnings. They made more profits than the rise in the market. Yeah, the, the overall earnings, the S&P 500 was up 27% last year, and the market was up 24 um, uh, through the present. And so what we've got is a situation where the market is actually getting less expensive, not more expensive. And, and again, that's very different from what it was in 1999 and in 2000. Um, so then we go on to the bond market. The bond market is doing some interesting things. That's putting it lightly. I've seen so much confusion in the journalist world on the bond market lately, and I just kind of shake my head and go, you guys, you touch your toe into this water once every year or so, and every time you're confused, here's your one-time touching and confusion. So let's clear up some of the confusion, shall we? Well, for, first off, it's important to understand that bonds fell last year. If you go look at any widespread bond fund or index, they're all down from 12 months ago. Sometimes they're down 2 or 3%, times, sometimes they're down more or a little bit less. But the point is that interest rates rose last year and the bond market fell. That's the way it works. Bonds fall when interest rates go up. Well, interest rates uh, have been rising this year. As a matter of fact, they're up about 12%, 15% this year already. Um, and in a very short period of time. So as interest rates rise, and in the, the 10-year Treasury, which is the benchmark for yields and interest rates in the United States, is 1.794%, roughly 1.8%, which is a lot higher than it was at any point last year. Uh, no, I take it back. It went up to two at one point, but it's definitely going up. And it's as, as interest rates go up, the bond market goes down. So the discussion among the bond traders is that there was a sell-off in the bond market, and there probably will continue to be more. Why? Well, we'll get into that in a little bit, but interest rates are on the way up. And the way the Fed is talking about raising interest rates is, is sort of fascinating. They're not only going to uh, raise short-term rates, which they have direct control over, but they're also going to start selling their hordes of bonds that they have accumulated, both uh, going all the way back to uh, to 2008. They were accumulating bonds, and they have a huge number of bonds, and they're going to start you know, going to start letting them liquidate themselves for step one, meaning as they mature. They're not going to replace them by buying more bonds. So what that tends to do is raise long-term interest rates, longer-term interest rates. At the same time, they're planning to raise shorter-term interest rates. Now, why is that important? That means the yield curve stays positive as they do this, but it means interest rates go up across the board, which means that if you have a bond fund or you're holding bonds, the value of your portfolio the, is going to drop. That's what happens yeah. when interest rates go up. So this is one of those things that's going on. Now, oil is the other thing we talk about. Uh, it was up 7% for the week. It's at uh, the West Texas Intermediate Cruise at $84.39 $84 a barrel. Why did it go up? Because the economy is about to take off? No. Um, it's one of those things where you're paying more at the gas pump because there is unrest in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, yeah. Because why is it? Why does that make the oil price go up here? Because believe it or not, Kazakhstan exports a lot of oil, 
and the unrest there with U.S. I, you know, I keep trying to say Soviet federal troops going <laughs> your, in. Your old Russian training troops, is coming to the yeah, fore here. Uh, Russian troops moving in to keep the peace. Uh, you know, we used to joke around when I was in the army, we were up against the Soviets, then the Russians. The Russians always want peace. They want a piece of this country, and then they want a piece, piece of, of that country. <laughs> they want peace in Ukraine, and they want a peace in Kazakhstan, and they want yeah. yeah. And the end result is that oil prices went up, which means gasoline prices will be continuing to rise, and that's not going to make people happy, which leads us into one of the subjects that everybody's concerned about. Inflation. Inflation. Yeah. And well, I mean, time. there are three points in the newsletter, the geopolitical and socioeconomic overlap there. I think those are worth going over as well while we're still on the newsletter. Well, inflation is a thing to look at. We came out, and, and there's been a lot of noise and print generated by this. The 12-month U.S. CPI is 7% right now. In other words, you look back seven years, a month ago, or a, month, a year ago, and the prices as measured in the United States as measured by the Consumer Price Index are up 7%. And that's a lot. I mean, any way you look at it, that is a true. That, as a matter of fact, that's the highest since 1982. And in 1982, we had some real runaway inflation going on the problem is that it's they're up in some interesting places used cars and trucks have a big piece generate a big piece of the consumer price index and they're up 37.3 percent in the last year i don't think that we're going to go up 33 37.3 percent going forward a year from now used cars and trucks won't go up matter of fact right. i think they'll collapse um new vehicles are up about 12 percent so shelter is the other one that went way, way up. Well, there's another one too. That's even bigger fuel, gasoline, motor fuel, that's a 50% rise in one year. I don't think we're going to see another 50% rise in the next year. Um, so inflation is kind of winding down, uh, meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. Uh, my wife went to the store to, uh, buy some food, meat, and she went over the beef and discovered that uh, T-bone steak and flank steak, flank steak's normally cheap, are both like $6.95 a pound. So she went and did what consumers do, and she went to pork, <laughs> right. which is a lot cheaper, Yeah, uh, which is one of the things that works. Um, one one area that saw a drastic increase in prices, and it's, you kind of sort of covered it in automobiles, durable goods. Durable good prices are way up. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, at this point, from, uh, you know, if, if we're looking down at 105 as the average range pre-pandemic, it's up at like 127 now. So we're talking like major 20 plus percent uh, increase. But if you look pre-pandemic, you saw an increase starting before that. This is a trade war thing. So the beginning of the price going up for durable goods, that's refrigerators and washing machines, anything that you would buy for your house that's going to last more than about five years, air conditioning, heater, uh, water heaters, those things, the prices on those have gone up drastically. Those were the first items hit in the trade war. Those were the first things that had tariffs put on before steel, before aluminum, some of the steel and aluminum tariffs have gone away. These ones haven't. You add to that the snarls 
of the pandemic supply chain issues. Yes, I just like snarling. Um, uh, It's all tangled up and it's caused those things. Those are things that are harder to put on airplanes to ship. They are the things that are going to be in shipping containers on an actual ocean vessel. And that's what we've seen the greatest holdup in delivery on. So it makes sense that those prices are up. There's two factors that were not there before. And you are pregnant with thought. Please have labor. Well, I wanted to give the other side of the inflation story. Uh, First off, medical expenses for years have been going up at an outrageous rate. In the last 12 months, they've gone up 2.2%. We actually had our price at the office for insurance dropped for the first time in 15 years. Tuition, which has been going up at like six to eight percent a year, went up two point one percent. That's college stuff. That stuff that's usually goes up at seven, between five mm-hmm. and seven percent, way above normal inflation. They're down at the normal inflation rate, when everything else is way up. And perhaps the biggest thing to pay attention to at this point is something called the producer price index. The producer price index will rise or fall, generally speaking, ahead of the consumer price index. But it is a strong indicator because producer price index is wholesale prices. Wholesale prices in December were up two-tenths of 1% for the month. Now, what does that mean? Why is that important? Multiply that times 12 and you get the annualized rate. That's a 2.4% annualized increase in wholesale prices in December when normally they jump. Um. But we have another statistic that you can lay in parallel here. What's that? That's the retail purchase. Right. So at the same time that we saw this drop, seasonal adjustment, over the last 20 years, most Christmas purchases take place in December. Some of them happen through November, and Black Friday is celebrated because it's after Thanksgiving and so on. A lot more of the Christmas purchases took place in October and November this year. You know it in your family. (laughs) Most people know this in their own life. We can see it in the numbers. So we see this producer price index, which is looking at existing orders and so on. And that's mildly influenced by how people are buying right now. So December, it looked like we had a drop in retail spending. I'm kind of tying this in. Okay, I want to throw one other thing in here. Okay, go the ahead. Consumer, the consumer price index for one month in December went up 0.3%, and that's a 3.6% annualized rate of growth. I think we have seen the peak in inflation. I agree. And from here on, it will head back to normal pretty quickly um, across the board. And for, you know, We talked about food going up. It's gone up at 12.5% over the last uh, 12 months, but it dropped. This is interesting. It dropped half a percent in December. The price of food, that things like beef and so on. Uh, so I think this was maybe not the term. It's, it's a, Transitory is a poor term to be used here, but I think it's temporary. Yeah, I, and I, I, think, I think we'll get through this very quickly. We've said this multiple times over the last year that this sure looks a lot more like coming out of World War II than it looks like coming out of the year 2000 or the 1980s or the 1970s. This big event with a lot of government stimulus in in World War II, the stimulus was in buying tanks and airplanes. And then huge unemployment on the return 
And then this massive boost in business and massive boost in new small businesses form. We had a 47% increase in small businesses last year. That's, that's the only other time that we've had anything close to that was coming out of World War II. So when we look at that, a lot of the, the unemployment numbers get wonky because we've got so many new small businesses. They don't know how to count that. The business owners are technically unemployed for a lot of these surveys because they're self-employed. Who's their boss? Who, are they gonna, what's the likelihood of getting paid next month? Well, business owners don't know that. So all of this is coming together. You're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. And what we saw right after World War II was a spike in inflation for about a year and a half, followed by a period of deflation, followed by back kind of to a regular pattern, and then Korea, the Korean War hit and threw things off again. Yeah, I think I think it's some way. I don't think we'll have another Korean War though. You, you never can tell. <laughs> you could have a war someplace else. It's a crazy the guy over there. A, yeah. There's a lot of headlines if you follow economics about the increase, the decrease in sales, retail sales in December of 1.9%. Right. That's not reality. Um, what you saw was in a seasonally adjusted decrease in December of 1.9%. In fact, the, as we were noting before the program came on, Sales were up 16.9% from last year, and last year was higher than the year before. So the issue is that because of seasonal adjustments and because people shopped early this year, there really wasn't a decrease in sales. It, there was an increase, a drastic an increase. increase. Yeah. And this, this is one of those cases where, unfortunately, the Labor Department does not publish it's their the unseasonally census. adjusted number. The census, okay, yeah. they don't publish their unseasonally adjusted numbers. Uh, with, I wish they would. Labor Department does. We like that. We can look at their, yeah, this, their just raw stuff without garlic and salt. No seasoning yeah. on it at all. This, the, but but the, you're right. It's the Census Bureau that does not publish those. I wish they would. Uh, but actually, things are in pretty darn good shape out there. That's the bottom line. Uh, one of the, the big things that is big in my mind right now. There's is the geopolitical stuff that's happening. We've already talked a bit about Kazakhstan. They they get a lot of oil out of the ground. Oil prices are up because there's something major happening over there. Most people aren't even aware that there's something major happening over there. A lot of people are barely aware that there's something major happening next to Ukraine. Uh, Kazakhstan, over the last 32 years or so, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union, they had one president for 30 years. And his entire effort in his presidency was sovereignty for Kazakhstan, its own country. And from a geopolitical historical background, Kazakhstan has never, ever been its own country. The last time it was kind of sort of that was during the Khanate when uh, the Mongols were there and the the Kazakhs uh, were part of the Golden Horde. And so they had their own area as a terrain, but it didn't have borders. It was just this open plain, and the way you knew you were in the wrong place is if they killed you. Uh, now come forward quite a number of hundreds of years, and you have a country that was established at the fall of the Soviet Union. The president was a Soviet minister, so he stepped into place 
consolidated power and for 30 years was in essence a dictator and said our country is our country external to Kazakhstan we're going to be in alliance with Russia on everything okay well two years ago he stepped down he's relatively old Um, he stepped down and his chosen successor stepped up um, and the final transfer of power uh, the last vestiges of it took place over the last year Then we have political unrest. The political unrest comes because the price of gasoline went up. Well, part of the reason why the price of gasoline is up now is because of political unrest in Kazakhstan. Well, the political unrest in Kazakhstan was because the price of oil and gas was up. So what does this mean? Just like in Saudi Arabia and a lot of other countries that produce a lot of oil and gas, the government of Kazakhstan subsidized gasoline so that if you went to the pump, you weren't paying what we pay in the United States. You were paying whatever was left after the government paid a bunch. And a lot of cases, it was like 40 cents a gallon. It transmitted from into dollars, which is not exact. So this is a very rough uh, exchange. 40 cents a gallon. The subsidies got removed because the Kazakhstan government is not doing so well during the pandemic and the prices went up and they're not able to get their oil to the market as fast as they wanted to for lots of reasons. Same reasons that the supply chain issues everywhere. So subsidies are removed. That Now you have this new president that have uh, people don't trust him as much. And he's taking away what they consider their rights at this point. So entitlement program going away, they got upset. This is a cause of unrest throughout history, only it's not for oil and gas. Bread and circuses is what they used to say. The government subsidized bread. Anytime you have a government subsidy that people expect and want, uh, it is and it goes away, they feel like they have lost a a right that was granted to them rather than a gift from the government because the government doesn't give gifts. It gives rights. So when it goes away, you have unrest. Well, the first thing that was done by this new president is call in the Russian troops. And then he said, shoot on sight uh, as soon as you see protesters shoot them. Hundreds of protesters were killed makes any kind of protests in the United States look really tame. Uh, And yet the protests continue. So the Russian troops showed up. The Kazakhs said just recently, and now they're going to go home. So let me kind of give you the announcement when the troops were coming in. Kazakhs say, we're inviting the Russian troops in. They're going to come and help us. The Russians answered, we're bringing our troops in to help our friends. Few days later, the Kazakh government says, and now the Russians are going to go home. Radio silence from Russia. We'll see if they go home. <laughs> this is one of the, you know, the other area is the mass troop buildup across the border from Ukraine. And the possibility that they're doing false flag stuff in Ukraine, like they did in Crimea right before the invasion, little green men, all that stuff. Kazakhstan may be the greatest gift to Ukraine uh, that Ukraine could have wished for because the Russian troops that have been coming from the eastern provinces of Russia are getting funneled into into Kazakhstan right now rather than on into Ukraine. 
Um, that's maybe temporary if the unrest in Kazakhstan goes away. NATO has just met, and ha- as have dozens of other individual con- countries over the last week, at multiple dozens of different meeting points. So the Russian diplomatic circus has arrived. They're meeting with everybody, power or no power, and they're they're doing it to confuse the diplomatic process. Nobody's in charge of saying don't go into Ukraine if they're individually negotiating with every country. You, you can follow that. They're in, intentionally breaking up any conglomerate that would be against them invading Ukraine. So what's the net effect if they in, invade Ukraine to the United States? Near zero. We would not like it because this is, this is a dictator taking a country. But our economy would not have a negative impact from this. Uh, we might see a dip in the market, maybe even a crash in the market because people get upset about this sort of thing. But it's not going to affect the, the profitability of Tesla. It's not going to affect the profitability of Apple. Um, this is, this is a, as far as our economy goes, we don't have a lot of trade with Ukraine. So why are we against them invading? Well, because you shouldn't let people beat up their neighbors and take their stuff if you live in the neighborhood. And we all live in the neighborhood. So do we have the right to be the world police? This is where the politics come in. I don't want to try to deal with those questions. Those are for the politicians. I'm looking at what's the impact on the economy. If we push and say, Russia, all the threats on true economic badness to you go forward now, we will have a negative hit on our economy. Not a big one, because Russia is not a huge source of trade for us either. There's more trade to Russia than to Ukraine. The negative effect on Russia would be really, really big. And the danger there is that once it goes into the status of you've got no, no other financial stick to swing at us because you've used your biggest one already, they have nothing preventing them from going all the way through Ukraine and so on. Uh, at some point, diplomacy needs to lead to actual physical restraint. And I don't think anybody's ready to do that. And I think Russia knows it. So just expect the world is going to get more chaotic soon. The other area is Taiwan. And as much saber rattling is going on there, as much propaganda is going on there, my thought is that the Chinese know they can't right now take Taiwan. They need to know that. Um, They won't be able to gather up the infrastructure of Taiwan if they were to invade because the Taiwanese have, they've got, they've already installed explosives under their factories. I mean, it's not like they're going to get to keep whatever they take. And, and the Chinese know that. So just laying that out, it's a tense situation. And it wouldn't surprise me if Xi uh, uh, goes ahead and invades. Why would I say it wouldn't surprise me, even though I just said they're not going to get the infrastructure? He and Putin have a lot in common right now. Both of them have had the term limits on their presidency removed. Um, So basically, that's forever. Xi, two years ago, had the the term limit removed from the presidency, and that that was put into place after Mao died. They didn't want to have a dictator for life anymore. Well, they just changed that and said, well, maybe we do. 
so this month he's running for re-election as chairman of the Communist Party with no opposition. Nobody's running against him. He's, in essence, dictator for life. What's more, the last several announcements he's given in a televised way have been sitting on a dragon throne with a dragon tea set. These are symbols of the empire. These are symbols of the emperor of China. So a lot of people, and this is something that I have talked with undergrads, econ undergrads about. I asked them to tell me um, what style of government, what style of economy is the United States? What style of economy is China? What style of economy is... Uh, those two are the, are the easiest ones to get because I always get back close to the same answers. We're capitalist, and I get uh, either they're communist or they're socialist. And if you look at strict definitions, neither of those answers is correct. So geopolitically, they're not communist anymore. They're much more feudal. Geopolitically, they're not socialist. We're a lot more socialist than they are. They have no old age payment plan, no pension system. We have social security. They have no medical system for old age. We have Medicare. They have no medical system for the poor. We have Medicaid. Uh, these are all socialist programs that China does not have. In those areas, they're much more reliant on individual responsibility than we are. So you can't have an easy answer to this. They are semi-capitalistic with government control. They're a feudal society. We are a, some kind of a weird hodgepodge of capitalism and socialism. And our system seems to work well where they're seeing some major negative side effects from the centralization of power that's been going on over the past several years. Uh, tech companies are being told to stop innovating. Um, people that have innovated are disappearing. So these are not good things for the future. And on that same subject, fertility rate for China is, again, much lower than it was pre-pandemic. So we've just got new data coming in. What's dangerous about that is that there's a lump in the population right now that are right at childbearing age. And the way we, you look at it in demographics, there's something called a, um, an age pyramid where uh, the top of the graph is age 100 plus, And then you've got the different ages, five-year intervals going down. And uh, like 3% of the Chinese population right now is between the age of zero and four. One of the big bulges in population is right in the childbearing age for China. So to see their birth rate drop now has a magnified effect for the future because the future has a much, much smaller um, group of people in the age-bearing years coming up, growing into those years. So women are getting... The, the, a big bulge of the population is starting to get too old to have babies in China, which means that their shrinking population is going to compound. W on top of that, the age 30 to 34 area, 4.2% of the population there is female, 45 is male. We, if you were to make that a bigger number, it means that there's a very uneven male to female ratio. There's a lot more men than women. So looking ahead for China, they've got some 
tough decisions to make that they might start making now, and Taiwan might be one of those. So that will uh, almost certainly have a major negative effect on our economy. Um, Taiwan is the number one producer of chips. They just started work on a chip manufacturing facility in Arizona, a big one. They are moving more manufacturing to the United States. And part of that is to form ties with us, more ties, stronger ties with us, so that if the Chinese do invade, that they've got some place to come. Because without using nukes, we could sink all their ships, but they just, they're making so many ships right now. We would have to go to full-on war to prevent an invasion. And we are not likely to do that. We might start something but that's the weird political area that we fall in in China is that if there is a Taiwanese invasion, our economy will be severely negatively impacted. So will China. So will the entire world because Taiwan has, by plan, established themselves as you can't do without us. They're making enough chips at a high enough quality that many American companies would be really, really negatively impacted if they disappeared. So that's the other weight against China. There's a lot more focus from the United States at preventing a Taiwanese invasion than there is a Ukrainian invasion. Even though we're meeting with diplomacy and all that stuff on the Ukrainian side, and NATO's involved there because we're talking about Europe, Taiwan is more important. Just keep that on, on your radar. Uh, don't get scared about it. The saber-rattling is only saber-rattling at this point. Uh, they, I don't think we're about to move on to the next stage. But keep an eye on it. So the birth rate there is the big issue. The South Koreans' birth rate's down. Basically everywhere on the planet, the birth rate's down. And over the last 60 years, that's not had a case where it reversed. If you have an industrialized nation that's got good quality of life, has access to birth control, once the population starts shrinking, we haven't seen it go the other direction afterwards. It hasn't started growing again. And we're seeing it kind of across the planet at this point. So that's another thing that may actually be a benefit. We'll wait to see. We've never had in the whole planet's population shrinking while we've been able to measure it. The last few times that happened were big plagues where all the measurers died too. So this is a different way of population shrinking and it may be long-term much better. We're watching that as well. So there's a lot going on in the world right now. If you want to talk to us off the air, uh, we at the firm, the personal wealth coach, we actually give fiduciary investment advice to people of high net worth. Um, if you would like to have a conversation with one of us in person or on the phone, uh, the email addresses are Jake or Jeff at tpwc.com or Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie, the personal wealth coach. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, send us information through the contact form. Uh, you can listen to our radio program going back, or you can go anywhere podcasts are offered, and we've got some bite-sized snippets on individual subjects going back as well as the full hour-long radio program episode hours. So it's worthwhile. Check, check and see in the old newsletters if we knew what we were talking about a year ago, two years ago. Just check us out. And uh, we'll be back next hour with more of the Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>